My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Today, my sermon title is pretty simple. It's uh, Follow Me, Follow Me. So, the reading from Samuel, well, they're all interesting to me, right? Is pretty interesting. There's a lot going on there. And it opens with this pronunciation that the word of, of God was rare. Right? That the word of God was rare. So if the word of God is rare, right, that means that there was a time before that when the word of God was, uh, was, 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 uh, was made known, right, to, to his prophets and to his priests and to his people. But now we're at a point in their history where it says the word of the Lord was rare. So we think about this, well, why in the world at this time in 1 Samuel is the word of God rare? And well, if you answered the question, remembering back to like the first year I was here and we did that series through the book of Judges which was amazing and I, I know you all remember everything I said <laughs> this this follows on right after Judges so remember how Judges ends right Judges ends it says everybody did what was right in their what in their own eyes they were living however they want to. They did however they want, whatever they wanted, and they could, they could care less. And there's like a really terrifying story at the end of Judges where somebody gets murdered and chopped up and their pieces gets like shipped over to Israel. And it's a really horrifying story. And people use that to look at scripture and say, see what the Bible says? And you're like, the point of that story is to show how lawless and terrible everything was. It wasn't to show that this is something that God wanted or God said. So have that in your mind as we get into 1 Samuel. This is the context into which Samuel is entering into, right? You have the, the tabernacle is there at Shiloh. You have Eli, the priest. He's there taking care of it, offering sacrifices. But the word of God, even to him, the text tells us, is rare. And we find out in the story a little bit later exactly part of the reason, besides like everything that was going on in Judges, why the word of the Lord to Samuel or before Samuel, to Eli and his family is rare. But this is a great story, right? This is the word, like the word of the Lord called out you know, to Samuel. Called out to Samuel. Now we have to be really care not careful here. Whenever we read the stories in the Old Testament, and when we hear this phrase, the word of the Lord said, the way I was brought up was that that is sort of like an inner voice. Right, that Samuel was just sleeping in bed, and then he just heard this still small voice on the inside, like in his heart, saying, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. It's like, what the heck was that? Samuel, 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 Samuel. On the inside. But that's not what's going on here at all in the story. Right? It's not this quiet voice that he just has this internal sense of. That's not how the voice of God works in the Old Testament. Right, when we hear the story, when, when Samuel finally says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is hearing, it says that there's somebody like standing at his bedside. Did you pick that up in the reading? Yeah. Well, who's standing there at his bedside? 
If God is, if it, the text is telling you God is speaking to him, and then we hear that somebody comes and stands by his bedside and talking to him, then who can we say is standing there at the bedside talking to him? The text tells us the word of God, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Right? The word of the Lord, when we hear this phrase in scripture, this isn't a disembodied voice in the heart. This isn't a disembodied voice in the heavens. This is what we would call a theophany. This is an appearance of Christ. Because Christ, second person of the Holy Trinity, fully God, like we confess all the time, fully man, begotten, not made, one with the Father, through whom all things were made. But we see the word of the Lord came to, this is a, a physical visitation by God directly to talk to somebody. And if you don't believe me, go back and read the story of Abraham and you'll see this in other places as well. So this isn't a disembodied voice like calling out to Samuel. The word of God is God. God and flesh. And who does the scriptures tell us? <laughs> what became flesh and dwelt among us? St. John tells us in John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. So there's this back and forth, right? And, and Samuel wakes up. And he's like, what's going on? He runs to Eli. He's like, Eli, what is going on here? And Eli's like, this is probably God, like after the third time. Eli's a little slow. We'll forgive him. And Eli says, this is God. So if you hear the voice again calling out to you, say, speak for I am listening. Speak for your servant hears. So this happens. Samuel's sleeping. God, respond, God calls him, Samuel, Samuel. And he goes, speak for your servant is listening. And then we have that text about the person by his bedside, right? God responds. And then he tells him some pretty hectic stuff. I want you to go tell Eli. Uh, he's doomed, basically, in his house because his sins are very great. And so the next morning, Samuel wakes up and Eli's like, what did God tell you? And Samuel's like, I don't know if I want to tell you that, uh, Eli. It's... And Eli's like, no, you need to tell me. If God told you, you need to do it. And he's like, okay. And so Samuel tells Eli everything that God said. And Eli receives it as the word of the Lord. And the reason why judgment has come to the house of Eli is because he didn't restrain or, well, maybe not. He didn't restrain what his sons were doing. His sons were very wicked. And as a priest... His sons would be priests as well, following in his example, offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. But we find out that his sons are actually up to no good, right? Taking advantage of women in the tabernacle, all that sort of thing. His sons are very sinful. And because Eli does not restrain that, that behavior, God is like, you can't worship of me. The people who lead worship of me cannot be like this. So your house, unfortunately, Eli, was going to be doomed. And I think like Samuel's time, the word of the Lord feels like it can be rare today. Have you ever noticed that? Because there's a lot of people who will go about saying things that they think is the word of the Lord, but it actually is not the word of the Lord. Now I'm going to draw from my own background here because it's easier for me to do that. But I grew up in a tradition where the word of the Lord was like a... a was like prophecy, right? Or, or giving somebody a word, like God told you or impressed something upon your heart, I really need to tell you this. Like God says this. So I, in services, people would get up and say, the word of the Lord says that this is going to happen, this is going to happen, or whatever. Or 
God like is offering like this encouraging word to the gathered body or you know maybe a sense of judgment or something for something the church has done. I don't know. That's kind of the context, right? I think that's a, a misapplication, right, of what's going on here when it says the word of the Lord. I don't really think that's the word of the Lord. Like, well, we know what the word of the Lord is, right? In the scriptures, the word of the Lord is Christ himself, right? The Hebrew concept of the word of the Lord which is what John is building off of when he talks about in the beginning was the word, right? So we know the word of the Lord is Christ himself. But we also know God speaks to us through the scriptures. So in a sense, the scriptures are indeed as well the word of God. And then the preaching of the scriptures would be the pronouncement of the word of God. And there are many people today who place their own words in, on, on, instead of the word of God. And there are people who put uh, justice issues as the word of God. Or there are people, whatever, insert anything, right? There's, there's some churches that are so far left, you have no idea if they even believe in Jesus. And there's churches that are so far right, you don't even know if they believe in Jesus either, because both sides seem to be worshiping political figures. The word of the Lord is increasingly rare, I think, in our own day and age. And what we need to do is, when we hear it, we need to follow it. We need to follow it. And then we have... In the reading in the gospel, Jesus is calling a Philip, and then Philip tells Nathaniel. Jesus says to Philip, follow me. And then he says to Nathaniel, like, we have found him, right? We found the Messiah. We've, you know, we found the Christ. And what's interesting about this portion here in John is that a little bit earlier in this passage, the same thing has happened with St. Andrew. And we heard St. Andrew referenced in the hymn this morning, right? Andrew is a disciple of John the Baptist. And Jesus is walking by, and we know the story, right? John says, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? So we know Jesus has come to be the sacrificial lamb because the lamb that's being spoken of isn't necessarily the lamb of Yom Kippur, right? Or the goat of Yom Kippur. The lamb of God is the lamb that's killed and eaten on Passover. And then the first Passover, the blood is placed on the doorway, right? Anyway, they would have gotten all this. So, Jesus is passing by again. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And Andrew's like, All right, peace out, John. <laughs> he takes another guy with him and they go follow Jesus. And they follow Jesus and Jesus turns around. He's like, Why are you guys following me? Like, what are you, what are you seeking? And they say, Where are you staying at? Not really answering the question, which is kind of weird. And Jesus is like, All right, come and see. So they follow Jesus. And then Andrew runs to Peter and says, we found him. We found the Messiah, right? And just like that story, Philip tells, he runs to Nathaniel. We found him. We found the Messiah. Everything we've been searching for, the person we've been searching for, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world, is finally here. Finally here. And Nathaniel comes and he says, and Jesus is like, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel is like, you are the son of God. And Jesus is like, if you think that's something, just wait. Just wait. You're going to see the heavens open. You're going to see things. Right? You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There is this call for him to come and follow. This call to Nathaniel and Philip to come and follow, just like Andrew and Peter. Come and follow. Right? That's the same call issued to Samuel. Follow me. Come and follow me. It's the same, it's the same Christ in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Follow me. And things don't work out great for the disciples. Except for, well, I mean, you say John, he got boiled in oil and he didn't die, right? So they, they take him to an island and leave him there, right? 
All the other disciples are martyred, right? All the other apostles are killed. But they preached the gospel. They followed where the gospel led, right? The hymn that we sang, Christian, love me more than these. They did that. They did that. Because that's part and parcel with the call to follow Jesus. And then we see in the reading from Corinthians, when Jesus calls us to follow him, we see what that entails, right? We see what is asked of us to give up. And he lists a bunch of sins, right? And then he said, these are things that you shouldn't do. And then he says, such as were some of you. Right? He's not, he's pulling out, all, he's not giving an exhaustive list of bad things, right? He's taking a chunk that would have been common, right, to them, to their world. And he's like, all of you used to find yourself in this list, right, somewhere. And there's other things too, right? And then he says, you used to be this way. But what happened? You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified, he said. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were delivered from this, you were set free from this. Then he says something very interesting. He says that many of you might say, I have a right to this or that. I have a right to do whatever I want. As long as it's not hurting anybody, I don't know. I can do whatever I want. If I... Our entire culture is built on this notion of our individual rights. And the current cultural conflicts we find ourselves in, much of it revolves around our, the things that we consider rights. We're adding things to those things that we think are rights. They're not actually rights, for Christians at least anyway, because those things are antithetical to the scriptures. But then at the other side, we've lost this notion of responsibility, the balancing out of the rights that we have in our given nation and culture with the responsibility to live as you know, good citizens. But this whole notion of, of rights is sort of a very modern sort of thing. And we see this kind of imitated like, in the ancient world, but in our own day and age, this idea, I can do whatever I want. Even as a Christian, I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want to go. I can do whatever I want to do. I can live however I want to live. And you know what? We live in a day and age where you can. You can. But it's not going to work out well for you. We cannot just live however we want. Because St. Paul's whole point here in Corinthians, this part of Corinthians is, you and your bodies are destined for resurrection. And now you are part of Christ's body, the church. And it's Christ's body in a very real sense. Not in just some ooh, metaphysical, like we are, we are the body of Christ. His, his hands, his feet, his arms, his legs, his head, his eyes. And if we are destined for resurrection, if we are Christ's body, then we cannot dirty Christ's body, right? The sinless Lamb of God. As the church, we cannot dirty that. We are called to live in a way. We are called to live out our sanctification, our, our justification, how we have been washed, right? It does us no good if after we're baptized, or like, okay, say like this. So say, you know, I... I 
I have a, a favorite shirt. Or, um, and I'm like, yes, this is my favorite shirt. And then as soon as I take it out of the wash, I go outside and I crinkle it up and I throw it in a mud puddle and I pick it up and then I put it on and I go about my day. That's kind of a silly example, but that's kind of what Paul's point here is. He's like, you can't do that. You can say you can, and you can live like that, but if you live like that, then there's going to be some problems. We cannot live as Christians that way. We cannot say our, like, our rights, our individual rights or whatever, are the most important. Like as Christians, we're called to lay down our lives for one another. And the call to Christian service is similar, right? As, as, as elders, as deacons, as pastors, as teachers, right? We are called to live in a way that pleases God as a model for those around us. And we have a responsibility to serve them as best we can. A part of service is living as washed, sanctified, and justified people. We have been made holy. We have been set apart as holy. And that's what following me means, is giving up things that we might think are our rights, giving up things that might be culturally or maybe even legally as citizens of the United States. We may have, as giving those things up as being our rights, because our call as Christians, are where we live is in the kingdom of God. We are citizens of, in our context, the United States, but more than that, we are citizens in the kingdom of God which takes primary importance over anything else. And this is hard, right? And we see that demonstrated in Samuel. We see that demonstrated with St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. This is part of the Christian life, is learning and growing into that. And there is grace enough for that. There is love enough for that. There is compassion enough for that to help us. And God doesn't just leave us hopeless, right? He gives us, as his gift of grace, he gives us the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who helps us, who strengthens us, and who will walk with us. So as we, like those in the scriptures, turn to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not only in our individual lives, not only in our corporate lives here at the church, but also in the ways we serve here in the church and one another, let us do so in the example set by our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom is due all glory, together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion Stone Church. I'm Reverend Mike Lantman, and I'd like to extend to you an invitation, if you're ever in our area, to please worship with us Sunday mornings at 1015. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or would like some information about the church, or just have some questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page or via email. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.